We come to this next phrase in the Lord's Prayer that we've been looking at over these last number of weeks as we come to think about what it means to hallow his name. In our efforts last week to try and discover what Jesus actually meant when he prayed, hallowed be your name, we noted that there were two very clear features in that prayer. The first remind us that with Jesus as our elder brother and God as our father in heaven, we have joined in this great family business. As Christians, we carry the name of Christ and our father in heaven. Secondly, we noted that this line in the Lord's prayer was all about the name of God. The name being more than just a title, but God introducing himself to us from those earliest pages in the Bible as sovereign and saving. As Elohim and Yahweh, the great I am and Jesus, his name carries weight. His name has a reputation. And when we discover that, it means we're not just defending a name, but we love, but we are concerned about the Father's character, the kind of person he is, the what he is, not just the who he is. So having joined the family business and concerned to know about the Father's name, there is now an onus to live for the Father's reputation. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning, living for the Father's reputation. Some of you know I was uh, born in Yorkshire in the north of England. My dad was a pastor in a small market town and one of his greatest supporters and loyal encouragers in the church was a local pig farmer. When this family came to visit three-day-old me, all supposedly cute and wrapped up in the blankets in the cot, this pig farmer's son looked in and not having much time for babies blurted out, Hey, up, he's got ears like sow. Thankfully, although you may disagree, my ears have settled down with age. But my dad did have kind of sticky-eyed ears, which were all the more noticeable the balder he got. Now, maybe you come from a family where noses stick out, or hair loss is an issue. And as I look around this morning and see family connections, I couldn't possibly comment. It would be more than my life would worth just five weeks in here. But reality is, all of us in some way bear the image of our, of our family, don't we? We all carry some family likeness. Now, it mightn't be in looks, but it might even be an attitude. It might be how we speak or the way you walk even. And someone along the line, and I'm sure, especially you folks who are teenagers here this morning, isn't it awful when someone pulls you saying, Oh, you've got your mother's smile. Or you've got Auntie Margaret's teeth, whatever that means. Or Uncle Stanley's legs. There's nothing worse than that being said. But you know, Eve, despite it being so daft, there's a truth in that, isn't there, somewhere? We have family features whether we like it or not. And in this line of the Lord's Prayer, it's all about family features. We're asking God that his name would be holy, that his name and his characteristics, his saving, his sovereign power would be set apart and distinctive in us. In other words, that as God's children, we would be a credit, we would reflect our Father. We're praying that we have become so excited to be numbered among God's family that we would live like a child of God, that the heavenly family characteristics would also be seen in us. So that whenever people see us or hear us, wouldn't it be lovely if they said of us, he's got his Father's heart. 
He's got his father's forgiveness. He's got his elder brother's wisdom and grace. Praying this prayer expresses an aspiration that the God who is holy would be treated in his creation as holy. And folks, that begins in us. So how does that look? Today it's practical. I want us to think about this practically. How does that look? How can God's greatness and altogether differentness be seen in ordinary sinful people like you and me? Those who've been saved by his grace. Here's the first way. Through our words. Through our words. Now here's a very obvious starting place. How do you speak about God? Do you speak about God? When you do, what's your manner when you speak about God? Are you slightly embarrassed? Do you get tongue-tied? Have you struggled to speak to your husband, your wife, or children, your best friends, or work colleagues about him? Or are you aggressive? Or are you condescending? Do you frighten people off? And by the way you speak, what kind of image of God do you portray? Is he great? Or does he just sound like a grandfather in the sky? Is he grand but gracious? Is he so much greater, but yet so very near? Is he a finger-wagging God or a forgiving God? Is he portrayed as wonderful and worth knowing or slightly stuffy and so far removed from the realities of our lives down below? When I was teaching, I once asked my class to write a short description of their family pets. I emphasized that they, if they didn't have a cat or a dog or a hamster or a goldfish or whatever, they could either make one up or describe an animal that belonged to a friend. Well, the work was handed in, and I struggled to contain myself when I read one little boy's efforts. His story began, and this is true. I don't have a pet, but my auntie has a migraine. Problem is, I've never seen it. Can you imagine what this boy thought a migraine looked like? This strange beast who was always around his auntie's house, but he had never seen it. A mystery pet. Something domesticated and easy to keep, but really hard to describe. And you know, folks, sometimes I feel we can all be like that wee boy when it comes to talking about God. We know that he's out there. But he's as much like the burdensome family pet that needs to be spoken to and pleased and takes up a wee bit of space in our lives. But to be honest, we can't quite put our finger on who he is or what he does. And that's why we need to understand what it means to hallow his name first. Because it's not just nodding in his direction and acknowledging God as a three-letter title, G-O-D. But knowing his character, grappling with his greatness, coming to terms with his sinlessness and our sinfulness. And how he relates to us personally, savingly, consistently in our lives. The I am unchanging one is Jesus, the one who saves from sin. And Jesus is Lord, master of everything, and yet God involved with us in the warts and all stuff of our lives. How do we speak of our God around our churches? It is to our shame. It is to my shame. That we often use his name to suit our own purposes. Or even to justify our own means. Sometimes we can pull out what I call the God card to win an argument. Or to impress someone. Or to make what we're doing sound spiritual. Let me warn you, and I say this gently but lovingly to you all. 
Be very careful about folks who constantly rhyme off the lines like, the Lord told me to, or the Lord led me to. The Bible is littered with examples of people who use God's name for their own ends to justify what was really not right. Let me give you one example this morning. For instance, when Jacob and Rebekah were trying desperately to wrestle the birthright, the family fortune from twin brother Esau, she urged Jacob to, or Jacob to deceive his blind old father Isaac. Remember how he dressed? Esau was hairy, Jacob was smooth, so Jacob wore goat skin and helped pull off the stunt to deceive his father. And when he comes into Isaac's presence to present the meal to him, the question first of all comes, well, Esau, that was quick. How did you catch the game for the dish so quickly? That was a speedy turnaround from hunting to feasting. How did you do it? Jacob pulled out the God card. Hear what he says? Dad, the Lord granted me success. The Lord granted me success. He used God's name to cover up his untrue motives. He spoke of God, but his heart was far, far from him. His lips uttered his name in order to cover what really was his shame. Have you ever used God's name as a cover for your own determined intent? This is what I want to do, so I'll dress it up, I'll make it sound even better, and I'll cover it in lots of God talk, and it'll sound sweet, and people will accept it. What did Jesus say, quoting the Old Testament? These people worship me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. But then in the book of James in the New Testament, we're reminded there that the tongue is the most dangerous organ of the human body. It may be small, but we're told there in James it's deadly. Sparks fly from our mouths and it can even cause what James calls a forest fire. Even if we're not using God's name openly and directly in our conversations, the question is, how, how do you speak? How do I speak? For even in our daily interactions, in our business, or sitting having coffee with a friend, or chatting with a neighbour about an issue, what we say and how we say it indicates how much we hallow God's name, how much we value our God. Because constant bitterness and sharp words and gossip and killing someone else's character with words and half-truths or innuendo, words wound, words hurt. Words can wreck a friendship. Words can break a trust. Words can shatter a means of service. And ultimately, it blurs the image of God in our lives. And it muddies his name in the community in which we live. For if that's how she speaks, or if that's what he says, and he's a Christian or she's a Christian, he or she mustn't think much of their God if that's what he's like. Because their words are cruel and not caring, their words break down instead of building up. How can we trust them? How can we trust their God? Isn't it interesting that when Isaiah, as we read in Isaiah 6, was confronted by the amazing image of God's robe filling the temple and the door frame shaking and his knees knocking for fear that he would die in God's presence, what does he cry out? Woe to me, I'm a dead man, for I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips in the public arena in ongoing conversations Isaiah recognized that these this was the problem how do we portray God with our lips second thing this morning how do we hallow God's name in our works in our works 
How do we hallow God and set him apart as, as holy in our behavior? I find it deeply encouraging that throughout the New Testament, Paul continually calls the churches, those little new young churches, problems and all, he addressed them in the opening line of so many of his letters in Corinth and Ephesus and so on as saints, holy ones. God's people are saints. That means they're set apart. They're holy in his sight. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're a saint. You're a holy one. Because our identity is so closely tied up with Jesus when we place our trust in him and the forgiveness of our sins, we receive all that is his remarkably. We're regarded as righteous. That is staying free. We're pure. We're holy. In other words, we are hallowed. God has hallowed us, to use the same word that's in the Lord's Prayer. And the implications for us are huge, for we are called to represent this great, living, invisible, powerful God. It's through our lives that we make him known. He is hallowed, and he hallows us. Let me help us grasp this with two illustrations quickly. To most people, when we talk of Jesus, he just seems like some character from long ago or far away. And if he does live on, he appears to be so far removed from us to have any interest in us. And so our job is to act as telescopes, to bring him close, to enable those who see him as distant and far away that he is a God who has come very near. In fact, our God is quite literally down-to-earth God. Christ lived among us. Christ lived for us. He is described as Emmanuel, God with us. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to face trial and strain, and loss, and loneliness, and uncertainty. And we can exhibit that in our lives. We can exhibit that in our actions by the way we reach, reach out, the way we commit to people who are struggling, the way we engage with our community and the ordinary things of life. And here I'm not talking good and all as they are about three weeks of tent mission or door-to-door -door evangelism, but let me say consistent, daily, living with God in our minds and Christ in our hearts. That's the powerful witness. If you're a young mum caring for your children and life seems like an endless round of nappies and school runs and homeworks and meals to make and lunches to pack and dishes to wash, sick to clean up, do it all for the glory of God. See what Christ has achieved for you. He may have changed your life spiritually, but at this time, for now, he has you in the run-of-the-mill ordinary stuff of life for a reason. You know, your car, the school gate, Home, the birthday party, the leisure centre is your mission field. That is the place where God wants you to honour him. That is where he has you right now. And he has you there for a reason. Bring God near. Be a telescope for him. Bring him right up close to your kids, to your friends, as they see you lovingly, willingly, obediently, hallowing God with your life in all its busyness. Or if you're at work, and the job consists of the monotonous of the mundane routine. You feel just you're doing the same thing day in, day out. The same thing you did last year and the year before over and over again. And there's times that you just feel bored, frustrated, discouraged. No one seems to listen. You might struggle with your boss or have an issue with a colleague. There might be tensions on how the business is running. To be honest, you're fed up with the interference and red tape and paperwork. Whatever it is, folks, you can turn that yard that office, that field, that school, that factory, that delivery lorry, that hospital ward, as the place where you bring God right near. Right there, close up to colleagues, to those you're negotiating with, to the children in your care, or the patients, or the clients, 
You can bring God right close up to where you are. We can hallow God by our actions, our behavior, our works, what we do and how we do it. We can bring him into the every day-to-day business of our lives. Jesus said this himself, didn't he? Earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, just before the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. We all know that those he rubs shoulders with may rarely read or pick up the Bible. So when they meet God's holy ones, people like you and me, they will read us. And by our actions and through our lives, many will weigh it up and make an assessment. If that is how they live, well, this God must be worth knowing. For you see, we're not just to be telescopes who bring what seems far away right up close, but we're also to make what people see as small, very, very big. We're to be microscopes as well. We're to be magnifying glasses, making God big in our lives. So that when we have decisions to make about life or the future, we do it all in the light of God's greatness and God's goodness. Now, when we talk about magnifying God, we don't need to make him bigger. He can never be greater than he already is. But we are called to draw others' attention to the fact he is so big. He is to be the biggest thing, the greatest thing, the greatest influence in all we do. In our words and in our works. He is to be so big in us and on us that he changes how we live. How we view money. How we view our holidays. How we treat issues with regard to sex or shopping. If we're casual or cocky or selfish or cynical. If we're disloyal to friends and dishonest to colleagues. He is to change how we approach retirement or old age. How we face sickness and death. For people will watch. Others will see. Does this person's claim to be a Christian, is it consistent with them living a life for Christ? Does his life match his lip? Do her words tally with how she works? Dear friends in La Comfort this morning, what I'm trying to say is this. Every working day, every new morning has the potential for hallowing God's name all over again. We're to be God's walking living advertisements to his grace at work in us as we relate to others in our attitudes and in our actions. When we are children of God, it transforms the ordinary to the extraordinary. It takes the daily grind into a whole new wet realm of day-to-day worship and praise. And finally, as we finish, the third way we can hallow his name is by our worship, by our worship. Let me just say a word or two about our worship. And by this I mean our corporate worship Sunday by Sunday as we gather like this. We have an opportunity to worship him and hallow him right here. That is, let me ask you two questions about Sunday services. The first is this. Is this meeting, is this the one non-negotiable in your week? When we gather Sunday by Sunday, is this the place, is this the time, are these the people, is this your priority? For it is here that we meet to declare to God and one another with open hearts and open mouths that our God is worth singing about. I have been greatly encouraged by the singing in both congregations since I arrived. Praise God you want to sing his name. And if you love the Lord and have known his grace, you need to be here to do that week by week. You need to be here with your families. You need to be here to be reminded of of whose we are and who we are, children of God. 
We gather on a Sunday, but we scatter during the week. We come to be fed from God's word so we can chew it over and feast on it all week and see it as fuel, as it were, for the frenetic weeks that we have before us. We come here to praise God, to say to the world around us, whether there's football on the telly or a mind of revision to be done or work that always needs to be seen to, we are here because God is greater than all of it. He is first. This is my priority. And then the second question I ask is this. When it comes to worship, where are your eyes and how is your heart? Over the years, I have probably had as many comments at the doors of churches about the color of my tie or complaints about what I did or didn't say or comments on the music or people pointing out faults than people who go out saying, isn't God great? We shouldn't be obsessed with whether they sang our favorite song or someone sat in our treasured pew. We should never leave saying, I enjoyed that. But isn't God great? What do we do when we come to worship? Do we assess the preaching? Give our comments on the praise sung? Do we come because this is our once a week opportunity to praise God's glorious and holy name with God's glorious and holy people? In our worship personally, collectively, are we praying and are we saying we come to hallow his name? In the opening question of our shorter catechism, the question is posed, and many of you will know it so well, what is the chief end of man? What is man's chief end? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How do we glorify him? With our works, with our words, and in our worship. That is exactly what we were made for, to relate to God, to talk to God, to delight in his presence. And when we realize that in all its ordinariness, challenges, grind, and routine, those ordinary things of life will become a regular, daily temple of praise as we bring glory to his name and his name alone. So whenever we pray that prayer, our Father in heaven, we understand something more this morning of what it means to hallow his name in our words, in our works, and in our worship. Let's pray. Father, we take these moments to confess to you that often our lips say one thing, but our hearts are far from you. Lord, we're so sorry for that. And we ask, O oh God, that as we reflect on what it means to hallow your name, you would help us to be careful for those words that we speak, those actions that we do, and even in how we come to worship you. Father, we pray that you would turn the ordinary into the extraordinary as we realize that we are telescopes and we are those who are like magnifying glasses who make your name seem great in our world and those who bring what seems far away close to home. Father, use us, we pray, in this wonderful work in which you've called us to because we are your holy people who worship a holy God. Begin with us even now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.